Hi everyone and welcome to Culture Tasters, your weekly sample of today's creative industries. Each of our episodes is focused on a specific industry like film, visual arts, fashion, music, culinary, and even performing arts. My name is Raquel Serabrenig, joined by my co-host Alfredo Achar. We will be guiding you through changes and shifts that are affecting these industries and interview the stakeholders and key players making those changes happen. In our first episode, we will be talking about what makes an artwork go viral to the point that it becomes part of pop culture and the relevance of social media in today's art scene. We're also very excited to welcome Annette Bros and Andrea Mayer in today's session. Thank you everyone for joining. Hi Annie, hi Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today. Perhaps we can get started by you telling us a little bit more about yourselves. Hi, uh, my name is Annie Bros. I wrote my thesis about how an exhibition in the 90s changed Mexico's entire image to the world and how expositions from that one um, started changing. So I'm very into how art, culture, influence like people's lives, political decisions, even international relations and how art and culture makes basically the world go around and show us that even through our differences and our similarities, we can always connect through something beautiful. Hi, I'm Andrea Meyer um, and I'm from Mexico City. I studied the intersection of like art history and media and communications. So I've always been very interested in like the more com commercial aspect of the art world. When the COVID pandemic started, I began like my own business. And right now I'm doing like an independent art consultant business. And I'm working with like young people, young collectors who are interested in art, but don't necessarily know where to buy art or where to look for the artists. So that's my job. I, I'm like the bridge between the emerging artists and the young collectors. I think we could not ask for a better combination yeah, of, I agree. of, you know, specialty. So it's definitely so exciting to hear both of your backgrounds, Annie, coming from, I guess, more social, anthropological, political side of art and then you Andrea with the more media focused and, and commercial side as well so a little bit of everything and thank you so much for being here we really appreciate it so I just want us to dive in to the conversation let's go straight to the point and we were saying before we're not here to critique anything but really just show our opinions and how that is affecting our practices or you know our experiences with with art nowadays so coming from that title of the episode, which is the Mona Lisa effect, right? And what that means. We see a lot of new exhibitions being curated or created starting from an engagement point of view and how many followers is this going to bring to us? How much revenue is this exhibition going to bring? Which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a business oriented decision. They're not coming so much from the art perspective. So we see a lot of pop-up exhibitions, a lot of social media-oriented uh, pop-up exhibitions uh, as well that have nothing to do with art, but more with, you could say, more like cultural uh, phenomenons like ice cream or pizza or whatever it is. So I'm very curious to know from your point of view, maybe Annie, you can get us started uh, on this. How do you see this evolving and how this is affecting new artists or form of curatorial engagements? 
Um, I see it more like from a historical perspective. Like I can't like help but think that this phenomenon just like started in the 60s with Andy Warhol, like making art very not that accessible maybe but just very common where you could just see it everywhere see it like repetition and the taking of images that were public that everyone already knew and capitalizing them and making them like for the purpose of art and for selling art and also i think that art has evolved with its meaning because at the beginning it may it might have been like from a point of like beauty and expression and like class maybe and now because also, all these different uh, words, these concepts have different meanings, and they're all very linked to capitalism. I know this sounds like super weird and like super left winged from my opinion, but I'm like a social studies like student. I am very like liberal and left wing minded. So it's I'm very on the critique that art is mainly now used to like something that you can sell, something that you can exploit, like your value as an artist as a museum, as a curator, it's basically in how much you sell it and how much people are willing to pay for that. That's like very shocking and that's transforming the world of art and also like social media, everything. Just like even nowadays stores where they're meant for you to go in and buy something, it's more likely for someone to go into your store if you have, or your restaurant, if you have like a photo opportunity moment, like an iconic mirror, an iconic thing, that you can show to everyone where you are so you can show your status so you can show and like even all of this and art world capitalizes on this but I think that sadly the art world is very limited to certain type of people because art is really expensive and also not everybody is into art. I think it connects perfectly with what uh, Raquel was saying about like the Van Gogh live experience or like all of those things, those those exhibitions are making yeah. art more approachable or, or um, yeah, approachable to like wider audiences who don't necessarily have either the money to go see a Van Gogh or the interest even. I also think, you know, coming from the engagement side of things and looking at social media is not necessarily something bad, you know, it has really open the world of art. And at least when I open my Instagram, when I open my social media, it's so wonderful to see so many young artists. And I'm curious, Andrea, your thoughts on this, but it gives me an engagement. It gives me like a window to art that I wouldn't otherwise see as well, because those artists probably won't get into a museum anytime soon. You know, so Andrea, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Um, yes, I think it, it can be a very good thing or a very bad thing at the same time, because on the one hand, I feel like all these museums and galleries, they're there. So when when we started um, living with Internet and being so connected to our phones, basically most of our lives are online and they're digital. So now these physical spaces have to have like new revolutionary ideas um, to bring people into the physical space. And I think that's been a challenge for a lot of these institutions. Um, and I think now more than ever, they value like the actual physical experience. Um, and I think that's why sometimes either restaurants or stores can be very like, they have like a, a mirror for selfies or like a, mm -hmm. I don't know, like a neon sign so that people take pictures there, whatever. And I think for artists, 
it can be good. Um, I mean, there's like digital exposure because well, like you said, many, maybe more people have access to like their catalog and their work and their portfolio. But then on the other hand, as like a, a user, because that's what we are, you're seeing so much of this every day that then you need to see something that's really, really impressive so that it catches your attention. And I think it, as Annie was saying about Andy Warhol, I think it also started with, there was this group of young British artists and they were called the YBAs. And it included artists like Damien Hirst and Tracy Emin. And one thing that they really wanted to like show in their work was this shock value and how it attracted people's attention. So like Damien Hirst suddenly put a shark in a formaldehyde tank and he called it art. And that was shocking to people. But I mean, at the end of the day, it garnered attention and media exposure and everything. So I feel like that has become very trendy and that has become like something people and artists and institutions aspire to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think something that we were talking with Alfredo before is this idea of the myth, you know, is behind all of these trends, right? Behind Damien Hurst, behind Andy Warhol, behind the Mona Lisa, there's like a myth. Sometimes it's romanticized, like with the Mona Lisa, or I want to go to Paris and I want to visit the Mona Lisa. Maybe I know what that is and maybe I don't know what that means. You know, maybe I want to go to an art fair to, you know, feel cool and, and feel like I'm, you know, part of this interesting circle of creative people. But what does the, that myth really mean i'm not sure you know i don't think we have all the answers here but i'm curious to know annie how do you feel when you go into you know an exhibition or a place and and you clearly see that the intention maybe behind that is really just to attract people and i'm not taking value away from the actual art because that's actually also very important and i know and i'm sure there's also thought behind that um as well but how, how do you feel you know as someone that comes from that political and, and art background when you go into a room and see you know people are taking pictures and they're experiencing their they are through their social media platforms i think that in a way it imposes people like maybe even if it's to show it imposes people to have an initiative to go and to see art and to get cultured and like I think that maybe even if you just like went to Paris and saw the Mona Lisa, like to get to the Mona Lisa, you have to step into the Louvre and you have to go through different hallways and see different works of art. And maybe you don't really pay attention to them, but like you kind of see them and you're interested. And I think that's really good. And first I was very like critique about it. There's this really big art fair in Mexico City. It's called Sonamaco. And I used to be such a hater, like, oh, like so many people only come to like get a photo and have everyone see that they came and that's it. But then I was like, at the end of the day, you have to pay a ticket to come. So you're at least giving money yeah. to like the artist, to the organization for this art fair to keep going on. And maybe they'll see a piece and that sparks their love for the art. And maybe like when they see the Mona Lisa in person, they'll feel like, wow, like it's art. Or maybe they'll be like, I don't get what the big deal about this painting is. It's so small and you can't even get through. But maybe they'll look, turn around and see a Jacques Louis David that's huge and they'll be like, this is art and they start learning and growing. So I think that, especially like we said at the beginning, we're not here to critique or anything. And I feel that sometimes within academia, especially in art critics and people in the like, com like 
with my fingers. I don't know how to call this in English. Quote unquote. Like quote unquote, like <laughs> art, like the art world and art critics. Um, I feel that they want to keep like the art world limited to like the one percent and to the culture like part. But nowadays, nothing is exclusive. Not even one's image is exclusive. The Mona Lisa. It's not even like what it means. When I saw the Mona Lisa for the first time, I was twenty-two, something like that. And I was way more shocked about all the people gathered to see the Mona Lisa from afar than from seeing it itself. But it's still part of the experience of going to see the Mona Lisa. It opens people. It helps people to get in touch with this world. And we have to open our hearts and especially coming from an academic background, like open our minds and remember that art is sadly like. It's not cool with art. It's still very exclusive and very limited to like only a part of society that's already limited to acquiring it and buying it. So at least let's make it accessible to everyone to see or to enjoy because that at the end of the day is the point of art. Andrea, how do you see this experience maybe through the lens of a young artist? You know, do you see young artists changing the way they do art so they can Call attention, this attention that we're talking about of the viewer or the user. Well, or do you see more of a a step back against that culture? I well? mean, I think there's a there's a bit of both. I haven't actually experienced or will ha like have seen an artist actually do work that's like intended to be photographed or like posted on Instagram or something. But I think it also raises a lot of questions about like the reproduced image and how that can like affect the actual and original work of art. And I think that happens a bit with the Mona Lisa and how like, for example, some people see it on posters, on like t-shirts, on mugs and like postcards, whatever. And then they actually see it in person. And it's that myth of like going to Paris and like the whole experience. But then sometimes they can be like disappointed because it's such a small image and then you get there and you have to take an, an image with your own phone so that when you go home you can see that image over and over again but it's like an interesting issue about that myth that you were talking about surrounding like the actual artwork and the experience of seeing it and then the before which is like seeing other reproduced images and then the after which is going back to that like reproduced image that you took on your phone. I think that's I think that's really interesting because I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think comparing it to other types of art, like with architecture, like it's the same thing. Like you see the Eiffel Tower and you see the Big Ben and you see like the Statue of Liberty and actually seeing it, it might not be the same experience as seeing it on a pamphlet or seeing it on a book or online even. I think seeing it in person is such an important experience especially like when you see something that you like and that you really connect with and even the Mona Lisa that's such a myth it's the Mona Lisa it's I would say it's the most important work of art that exists not maybe not even because of its technique but because of what it means yeah. because of how it transcends because if you go to Italy you go to every single souvenir shop has a little like more like a Mona Lisa thing in Paris and because like Who does the Mona Lisa belong to? Does it belong to Italy? Does it belong to Paris? Does it belong to urban outfitters with t-shirts with the Mona Lisa printed on? Yeah. yeah, it belongs to everyone at this point, I think, you know? I mean, like, at the end of the day, art should be, like, more accessible. And I really like that it calls for people and that it starts a conversation and it unites people. And at least it's, like, a cultural reference that so many people can understand 
because I feel that a lot of contemporary artists are very limited to people who are interested in art or maybe like with comedian what happened is that it exploded on social media and then everybody was like wow like this happened but if not like I feel that a lot of contemporary artists get forgotten. I think it's really interesting because we were talking about how there's no more original content on like entertainment like movies and tv how everything is reproduced so I think it's also interesting to see how in art everything is also being reproduced even since like what Annie and Andrea said about Andy Warhol how they like how Andy like even reproduced like the Campbell Soup or Marilyn Monroe or like all those well his most notable uh, pieces but I think it's also interesting to see at what point there's still like original content or if there if there isn't any anymore I think with art there's way more like um, freedom for artists to find like their own style path original content than in film I guess yes art is going to continue to inspire other artists and is going to comp continue to be copied and reproduced it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing it just means it's more of an extension of that idea from someone else's perspective I think that a lot that happens with art it's that people can really like criticize it because it's visual and we live in a visual culture like it's about what you wear how you look what you post on Instagram so it's easier to notice when something is inspired in something else or even like already made it's something that you see every day but like the idea of it it's what's like behind and what it's worth it but I think that every day what happens like for me music so many songs that we hear every day and that are hits that you might think that they're so original and so unique a lot of them are inspired in other artists and like they even take samples or make um like reference to other songs but because it's not visual i feel that it doesn't impact culture as much yeah that's 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 really interesting to think about um, and another subject um that it's really interesting that we should talk about is how like even within an own artist's like production is a work original or not for example like Andy Warhol had this whole factory working for him and so does Jeff Koons and the um Murakami, right? Murakami, yes and even Ai Weiwei I mean they have like a huge staff making these artworks for them. So are they even considered original artworks if they weren't made by the actual artist? I think it bring, it goes back to this idea of the concept. Maybe not everything is conceptual art, but I do think that nowadays art is not so based in skill or what you're able to paint and or how you use the material that does affect the final work. But I think nowadays art is more about the concept rather than the product itself as well. And I think going back to the role of social media nowadays in art is how far can you get that concept out, right? And I think, you know, talking about Ai Weiwei or artists and other parts of the world, how do they bring attention to things happening in their cultures and their societies as well, and how they've been able to use the reach in social media has to further that concept that they're trying yeah. to to communicate. I think I think this is great to kind of like segue into Richard Prince just to quickly touch upon uh, his Instagram pieces because of what Andrea just said about how and also Annie about how like that's a reproduction of something that may might not be theirs. Like 
just screenshotting an Instagram post and then printing it and pasting it on the museum walls, would that be art and who does it belong to? I'm curious to know what you guys think about that. You know, I remember when those pieces came out and there was so much commotion around them. I, I felt like there was two groups of people, one of them saying, oh, this is so cool and so trendy and so, you know, nowadays. And then another group of people just saying, oh, this is no, there's no skill in this, you know, or this is not yours, you know, but what does that mean? Why is art so related to skill? You know, when nowadays art is a little bit more about a concept, you know. But I, I also, I also well. think that that in terms of property, this is a, a like a game changer because yeah. it's celebrities, and I think that's something important about this. Like, if they would take a picture of me of my Instagram and put it in a museum, sure. But <laughs> I think it changes when it when it is celebrities because they're public figures. I just want to say we would back you up, Alfredo. If you want to go against it, we'll be next to you. <laughs> <laughs> I agree that it's different because it's celebrities but at the same time I find it very problematic that there was no it wasn't a consensual agreement where Richard Prince asked the protagonist of these artworks if he could do them and if he could sell them um, because I think the selling part here is also very important not not just the fact that he like actually exhibition made, yeah Exactly. Not just that he made like an exhibition and that he made artworks out of these like private photographs, but the fact that he's selling them. And so at the end of the day, that framed Instagram post is going to end up in someone's home or in another museum or like another gallery. But the fact that the protagonist of the image has no control over who owns the image for me is a little problematic. And I think that it is a little disappointing to see that those kinds of artworks gain so much attention and that they, they're they worth so much because it's what we're saying about like the skill that the artist puts in the artwork. And in this case, I feel like it's close to no skill at all. At all. The conceptual part of it is, for me, a little like boring. It's inexistent. Exactly. And it's not like he's pushing boundaries because we've seen that over and over again. And I don't want to yeah. say I could do it because I hate that phrase. Um, but in this case, I really feel like I could and that it would like it wouldn't mean anything. So that's why I find his works a little problematic. I don't know what you guys think about them. Yeah, 100% also. Like, I don't know, I think also like Andrea, it's very heartbreaking that these kinds of artists get so much attention. Yes. There is no great idea or concept or speech behind it because then you can see like the production of the art doesn't need to be expensive. Like one of my favorite conceptual art pieces, it's Imperfect Lovers by Felix Gonzalez Torres. And it's literally, yes, I love two it. Clocks. It's two clocks and I, the clocks don't cost more than $5. But the concept behind it, the message, I think it's so beautiful and so natural. Yeah. A lot of people don't even know what I'm talking about or who he is and he studied art and he trained himself and so many people go through art school through philosophy school through training through bachelor's degrees and try to like even artists that critique the world that we live in through art and it's so beautiful and he literally just like took a screenshot of a photo and sold it without the consent of the person I think it's also very heartbreaking because of the time that we're living in when we talk about consent like people's bodies, sexual consent, what is, what isn't, and especially with women's bodies. 
it speaks of such oppression that we suffer. Like, I personally do not, but thank God. Well, I do because of the patriarchy, but that's a whole different episode. But <laughs> one person who decided to post on her personal Instagram a photo of her, it's not even hers anymore, and someone sold it. Yeah, it's horrible. Like, I don't even have the words to say how maddening it is because it has no sustent. It I'm also curious to know, not necessarily from, from everyone here right now, but you know, the people that buy those works of art, right? The role they play into this. I think right? the, and, and the real connects. I think the true like art that came from that was Emily Ratajkowski actually buying her portrait for herself. I think that that was like what made a statement yes. more than the piece. Yeah. Yes, and she had to pay so much for it because yeah. it was already hers. Yeah. No, it's in it, its sense is like this call for for freedom, but at the same time, it is not. I'm just glad that she spoke out about it and that she came through. And I just want to connect this conversation and you know the role really of of the buyer and and the people on the other side, right? Not the artists, not the galleries, not you know the people putting forward the art, but the people looking at it and the viewer as well. And you know, I think a great example for this is Mauricio Catalan's Banana in Art Basel in 2019. And what that really meant for the business of art fairs and, and for the business of art in general. Not talking so much specifically about if the banana was art or not or, or whatever that is. Because I feel like Richard Prince is a perfect example of how art can be anything that we want it to be as well. Regardless of our opinion or not. But more speaking about how this banana, which is as simple as a banana with a tape and a wall in a context that allowed it to be something very controversial as well. So what, in your opinion or your experience, is the role of the user? We call it user, we can call it viewer, we can call it, you know, the people that experience this art in breaking these boundaries and making something trendy, right? And making this a myth or an effect to that matter as well. Andrea, I don't know if you want to give us a start on this one. I think the viewer drives the art up to some point because artists want to sell their work ultimately well most of them I can't speak for everyone but I feel like at the end of the day they have to think of the other person that's gonna either buy or view their art and in the case of the banana I think it was genius because Mauricio Catalan is like a very like satirical artist and I think the whole idea behind the work was to poke fun at Art Basel, to poke fun at all the people that go there and dress up to go there and take pictures there and the whole like theatrical show around it. And I think it was very ironic because he was trying to make fun of something and he ultimately achieved it because his piece broke the internet for even people that weren't there, for, for people that are not interested in art. I feel like everyone knew about it and I think that's why it was so like such a smart move I mean I can't call it a very serious piece of art I can't take it very seriously but I do think that as an artist he was like very understanding of the audience of the people that were gonna see it and that it shows yeah like it's very on point it was where it needed to be what it needed to be 
So, yeah, yeah, I agree with Andrea. Before she said that, I was like, I mean, like, it's fine. Because I remember once there was this thing going around the internet that this man, like, left a pair of sunglasses at a museum and everybody now thought it was part of the exhibition without like anything and now I know so many people who tried like even my cousin he went I think it was to the MoMA in New York and he literally left one of his shoes to see like if people would go and see if it was part of the exhibition but evidently it didn't but now <laughs> puts it all like in context with the artist and what it was I do think maybe not the piece itself like it's a banana was deducted but the idea behind it it is brilliant Yeah, I remember being in Miami at that time for Art Basel in, in 2019. And, you know, everyone was telling me, oh, did you go see the new Mauricio Catalan work? And I was so excited because it's what a dress that always so sarcastic and humorous and with this intent of a little bit of academic mockery, I would say. But when I heard it was a banana, I, I thought to myself, okay, is it worth for me to go see this banana? when the whole purpose of the banana is to mock people that go and see it as well. So am I part of this or am I not part of this, <laughs> right? It's like that fine line in decision-making. But, you know, I don't think that banana was put there during the first days of the fair, which were like the VIP, usually it's like the VIP or what they call the VIP and they invite all these collectors. But I think it was plays there more towards the real opening of the art fair, which was also an interesting decision as well. So I, I do think, you know, it was a genius marketing piece and, and the art fair really knew how to use it to their own advantage as well, because it did drive a lot of traffic. I remember, you know, after a few hours, you couldn't even get a ticket to the fair because there was lines and lines of people waiting to take pictures with this banana. So I guess Catalan really got that satisfaction <laughs> of, of the joke as well. But I think it does speak more to how the viewer and, and the public has the power to change the meaning of something. Yes. Especially and with like, art. And also going back to the Mona Lisa, like even like in the academic part of everything, the Mona Lisa is not Da Vinci's most brilliant technically skilled piece yeah. it's not the most beautiful to it is but it's the most known it's the one that if you say da vinci everyone says mona lisa immediately it's the myth it's that myth be behind it you know and people that make the art it's people as we said what is art and what isn't art the people the audience are like nowadays before there was the kid the academies and like the museums and like it was a whole different world and institution but I feel that nowadays who determines what is art and what isn't art it's the people it's the audience it's us. I, think, I think that's so interesting because it makes me think of if there's going to be another piece maybe the banana but I don't think so but it could it could be like maybe another piece that would would have like the the effect that the Mona Lisa had like in the future also with with how like interconnected we are and how viral everything has become it might be hard to like have one specific piece that achieves what the Mona Lisa has achieved like today in the future yeah and also I think that also part of the Mona Lisa's fame is how it's also been used in different mediums like in music and movies and books and how it's stolen it's not stolen it's 
everything. So unless you maybe even take a Van Gogh, even right now, I feel that he's an artist that's coming up a lot now with the Van Gogh Alive and the Atelier des Lumières and even all the movies and biopics that are yeah. being made about him. I feel, and I tell this, I love Van Gogh. He's one of my favorite artists. But I still feel that not even one of his pieces will ever reach to what the Mona Lisa is. I don't think that anything could be the Mona Lisa. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the Starry Night is like a close second, but not at all. I don't think so. I mean, uh, it is super, yeah, it is also an icon. But really, I think the most looked work of art in the world is, you know, the Mona Lisa. And it's really, uh, it's really crazy. I mean, I do think nowadays it's so hard to stay on people's minds that to do and so phones. you really need to yeah you really need to be something truly iconic and inspiring and something that people will never forget and I think you know I don't think when da Vinci created the Mona Lisa that was his intent at all I think it took years and years and tens of years you know to get to this point even now just and now yeah because like even like dan brown with his novel like the da vinci code it's like with all of this or even just the expression like bob dylan he has a song and a lyric it says uh mona lisa must have had the highway blues you could tell by the way she smiles and from there you could go by the movie the smile the mona lisa smile so it's now not even about the painting it's about like little details about the painting that make a whole concept on its own story yeah 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 i feel like the only w works you could compare it with are like maybe andy warhol's prints in that they've been as reproduced as the mona lisa yes but maybe yeah, like i agree physically it doesn't attract as many people as the da vinci's yeah I, i feel like it's because that story is not so built up yet mm -hmm. i mean <laughs> Mona Lisa goes back to the Renaissance and the world goes back to, you know, a few years ago compared to that as oh, well. I but I do think it's on the way. Also, a lot of like Andy Warhol prints were made like by his studio and they're like copyrighted by him. And there's only like, supposedly, we want to think that there's only one original Mona Lisa. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Who knows? All Maybe right. we're going to be part of building that Andy Warhol myth for future generations where when we're not here. Who knows? <laughs> you guys in the future will let us know please <laughs> all right any last comments before we close well thank you so much for having us this was a great conversation and i hope everyone who listens can enjoy it and can relate yeah and continue listening to this continue uh researching about art getting into the art world and questioning everything that we see in yes, this culture that's important Question, question everything. Everything that you see in a movie, everything that you hear in a song, everything that you see even on your phone at a museum. Exactly. Question everything. Go see the Mona Lisa, but question what you're seeing. Yes, 100%. Well, thank you so much, guys. It, it's been truly wonderful. If you have any book suggestions, movie suggestions, let us know. We'll link them in the inner bio and our website. And yeah, stuff. and also, if you want to say, like, your instagram handles uh you can follow me on twitter it's at annette bros i post there a lot about culture and politics and the books that i read and yeah and you can follow me on instagram it's at and may a n d m e y dash art visor wonderful cool. thank you so much guys thank, thank you. you so much thank you.
Thank you so much for tuning into Culture Tasters. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and to follow us on Instagram at Culture Tasters. This podcast is produced by Raquel Serebrenik and me, Alfred Achar. We thank you for your support and see you next time.